literature showing that the bladder responds differently in different children. I don't know if you saw that as well. Well, you must remember that to a certain extent we were treating a, a selected population that were referred to us because they had a combination, because they were bedwetters or the UTIs with, and they had constipation. And uh, we were able to put the two together. Now, like any biologic system, you can have very mild and very severe. Yes. So what you're seeing is basically the spectrum of the disease. And the ones that uh, are the, that create the most commotion, you might say, are the kids who are bedwetters and don't respond to, to, uh, to a tincture of time and whatever other hypothetical maneuvers people, doctors, decide to do with them. That's why I was... Uh, uh, wondering in the in that paper at the University of Uppsala Lund, and I didn't get the, the original copy. It said they had 74 children who had failed enuretic treatment, but they didn't say what enuretic treatment is. I guess there's so many different treatments for enuresis that uh, that uh, there's there, there's no standard, and therefore, you know, you can't really uh, come to conclusions except to say that the patients that we were getting were the ones that the at one end of the spectrum. I'm sure that everybody goes through uh, enuretic phases or can, and we never hear about them because they're resolved quickly. Actually, it's ironic that over the years in Montreal, uh, especially in September, when the kids would go back to school at the end of August, September, when there would be epidemics of presumably norovirus in the schools, we would have some of the kids who were attending clinic and they'd get diarrhea for a week you know, which is a, a motility problem, and their enuresis would resolve. They'd come in cheering without, you know, and stop the enemas. Obviously, they stopped the enemas when they got diarrhea. And I'm sure that that occurs, and uh, people don't notice. They just call it a victory again. Yeah, I know. And, you know, yes, yeah, so you're referring to the study where they, I think it was a study directed against our research, which mentioned they did, they did ultrasound of the rectum, um, from Dr. Nevius, I guess, and said, oh, well, the, rec- you know, the rectum was normal size in these enuretics. And I, I, I think ultrasound's a bad tool. I, I think people like to use ultrasound um, because it's safe, but... Well, well, the thing about ultrasound, let's face it, it's, uh, you can have uh, observer bias and technical bias as well. Uh, you know, as I always said, you can make a kidney look very funny shapes Yeah. ultrasound uh, a probe. You know, I, I agree. And if you don't want to, if you want, I had a kid the other day that I did a, I posted that I had an X-ray on, and the the rectum, you know, I guess the view of the KUB was uh, such that it did not appear impacted. And then another doctor had ordered a CT scan for uh, abdominal pain, and the CT scan showed a significantly impacted rectum. So even my tools are not ideal. And so sometimes I'll use a contrast enema to de- de- delineate more. And then sometimes even, I don't know if you saw this, but I've had anorectal manometry where they were not adequately, adequately emptied prior to the manometry and there was a falsely low, for the falsely low pressure at which they sensed the balloon because they were already impacted when the balloon was inserted. Well, in the good old days, we uh, initially did uh, some um, uh, barium studies with the, uh, the UCs on kids uh, from the side showing the, the bladder are showing the rectum almost squeezing a bladder to nothing and they're quite spectacular uh, which of course we didn't do on everybody simply because we knew what was going on but it, it 
produce some very pretty pictures. You know what I do see rarely? I see rarely. So, so typically what I see as the rectum becomes more and more dilated, you know, the first thing that will show up will be low-level bladder overactivity, which presents as nocturnal neuresis. As it gets more impacted, they will present with daytime urgency or frequency, and then eventually um, daytime incontinence. And then usually last in these children is encopresis or, or, or uh, poop accidents for our uh, lay people that are falling. But which is basically overflow incontinence. Exactly. Um, and then I could have even seen some kids with dysuria, penile pain with voiding from the same causes. In rare cases, though, I'll see a child with daytime urgency incontinence, and then they can sleep through the night. And the only way I can explain this is that there's some positional variation to the influence of the nerves uh, around the rectum. Is that? you have any thoughts on that? Well, it, it depends on the way the rectum, the age of the kid, you know, as the pelvis develops, the older kids can have more variation than the younger kids when the pelvis and abdomen are basically one cavity. What we used to see is, and as I said, we used to do x-ray studies, uh, uh, it depends on the way the rectum is positioned, if it's above the bladder or behind the bladder. We had a couple of kids who had um, pycheluria, and when we did those studies, we found out that what they had was a rectum that was dilated very low down, just just above the anus, and it was stretching the urethra. Now, you know, how do you document that as a, as a scientific study? You can't, but that was the observation we made. Most of the kids had the rectum pushing directly at, uh, against the posterior of the bladder at the trigone. But some of them are pressing down, and others on rare occasions are just pressing from below and stretching the urethra, especially in girls. But these are, you know, observations we made that you couldn't put together as a, as a definitive uh, observation. Now, that's actually very insightful and profound. So basically, the variation of the rectal dilation, which can be almost limitless, can present uh, with the variation of bladder symptoms we see. Exactly, but the vast majority, the rectum pushes straight from behind, and that's when you get uh, against the trigon. That's when with the kids who have dysenergic bladder contractions. Unbelievable. So that that is great. And so, is there any? Did you use any stimulant laxatives? Was Senna available at the time? You know, I, I when I I'm just looking to use variations of treatments. Uh, I'm, I'm doing enemas, I'm doing you know saline with stimulants, uh, store-bought. Um, we're using some Xlax now, some Senna, because a lot of the GI motility centers are using it. Do you have any experience with stimulant laxatives? No, what we had were three uh, enemas uh, next to the park, uh, just next to the parking lot of the hospital, there was a pharmacy, and I knew the pharmacist. <laughs> And uh, since the, the, the enemas weren't covered by uh, Medicare, uh, we used to have an arrangement with the pharmacist where he would have massive quantities of fleet enemas that would uh, give them to the parents at basically cost. And uh, as you know, uh, with time, we developed uh, using saline enemas to try and cut the cost. But uh, that's all we ever really had. That was good. That was the good old days when you could cut side deals with pharmacists. I don't think that would be doable anymore. I'm sure a lot of people would appreciate that. No, no. They, they, it used to be a, a joke in that pharmacy. Uh, boxes and boxes of uh, pediatric fleets. And, uh, you, you know, our, our attempts to use uh, magnesium sulfate and things like that, uh, we decided after a few attempts that we wouldn't because it's uncontrollable. 
know. And it can make their uh, give them new problems, such as stool stool incontinence. Exactly. Yeah. We couldn't do. You couldn't control the response in that situation. Maybe safe in adults, but not in kids. What would you? What advice would you give parents that have started enemas and are are, are not dry yet? Because you know, on a proven X-ray, um, they're still full. Um, uh, is it just uh, we need to work to get them empty, try different things, or just give it time? Again, we are asking something to respond immediately that's had years of disease. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, there's only one treatment: tincture of time. You got to keep at it. There's no other way. I mean, you have a situation which is either responding quickly or it's responding very, very slowly. And if it's responding very, very slowly, what choice do you have? What's the option? There is no other option. Yes, and I, I feel that those are the patients that are susceptible to kind of the snake oil salesman with like, you know, essential oils or acupuncture or other therapies that, and I know you're not a fan of the alarm at all because of the, because the, it disrupts their sleep. Uh, but people are, they're always looking for a quick fix. And I do think that if we could convince them that this is the cause, and I know you and I are, um, firm believers in that, but to convince everyone, then they could all direct their efforts toward this cause and be, I think, more effective. Well, you, you know, people used to ask me in the old days, you know, we, we did have the, the, the Bellringers then, you know, the, why would you want to wake a kid up? I mean, he's about to wake up anyway, because he's going to wet, yeah, he's going to get cold. And, uh, Maybe that's not the same in Montreal as it is in North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the good old days. But the point about it is that all you're doing is uh, you're treating yourself. Uh, I mean, the parents treating themselves by waking the kid up. I mean, they're doing something. Yeah, they're making themselves feel better, but yeah. You can't do something else. No, you can't. This is the problem, and this is it. If you've got a flat tire, you got to uh, repair the tire. You know? And... Uh, Nothing else works. It's funny. My uh, resident had to do a grand rounds presentation on nocturnal enuresis, and I gave him some of my data, and then I said, you know, and here's, you know, the Campbell's Urology is our textbook, and he went to Campbell's Urology, and he looked up all the traditional therapies that are still taught today, to this day, the alarm, uh, desmopressin, and so forth. He goes, this is weird. You know, none of this stuff works better than 30% of the time. And I was like, yeah, that's because they don't work at all. And that's just, <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, he, he became a believer just after realizing that none of the other therapies have any efficacy. It's, it's the, the old story. 50% are abnormal, which is the abnormal one, you know? I, I know. Yeah. No, I think so. You know, it's always a pleasure talking to you because um, it is a t it's tough out there, and there's a lot of people that have this. There's a lot of disbelief. I, d I don't know. I, I do have a lot of collective data now that we're going to publish, um, and I think we've already published some findings. Uh, but I don't know how how to convince. If there was a if there was a way to restore normal rectal tone, you know, overnight with a pill, then everyone would be a believer. Um, but there's not, and so uh, I just think keeping that insight of that things take time. And if your child is backed up, they've probably been backed up for years, and this is like a healing – I think that was an excellent point you said, like a healing bone or a, a healing injury that takes time to be able to move, then that can put people in the right perspective that maybe not expecting immediate improvement. One of the things that used to get the attention of the parents with us was we used to tell them, ask your kid. They're going to tell you, oh, yeah, they're cranky, they get these – cramps all the time you know and they have to sit forever is that what you want for your kid if you don't do this your kid's going to be suffering 
Yeah, that's the way to look at it. That you are improving the, their their experience. Now you're not making them worse; you're making them better. Yeah, yeah. And the parents would say, "Oh, oh, I see what you mean. They're hurting." Yeah, they're not telling it because they've never known anything else. And then you know, you you were treating a few thousand people, maybe a hundred thousand people. I'm treating a few hundred thousand people, hundreds or to thousands. There's billions of people in the world that aren't. This isn't being treated in, and they're growing up with irritable bowel syndrome and. Uh, sorts, all sorts of dysfunction that never gets better, and they're being treated for other issues. And when you actually look at them, when I look at my adult colleagues, patients with interstitial cystitis or irritable bowel syndrome, they had this as a child, and it was ignored. So you're actually preventing disease in the long run as well. You know, when I came down here, I, I was, uh, you know, doing the run the Dallas transplant program at St. Joe's Hospital here for pediatrics for 10 years, but I was also doing adult nephrology. And it used to fascinate me. It was an eye-opener because I hadn't seen a kid in 20 years uh, to talk to, especially women who had urinary tract infections when they were a kid. And, you know, 30 years later, they still say, oh, I have a, all my life I, I've been constipated. And they tell you, oh, yeah, I go to the bathroom twice a week, you know. It's incredible. It is not physiologically normal yet. Yeah, what, what gets accepted as normal blows my mind. Another problem we have, you know, is in infants... When they're born, if they are feeding, I don't know if you have any insight in this, if they're feeding with breast milk or formula, pediatricians will excuse away very rare bowel movements as efficient digestion of nutrients. And so a fetus, I mean a fetus, an infant will be born and have a bowel movement once a week, and they'll just say, well, they don't need to poop anymore. Is that is that something that is real, or is that explaining away early? Look at the first reflex of a doctor, uh, I guess, when they're asked a question by a patient is uh, they either have the answer or they don't, and they're going to have to satisfy the patient by making one up. So you'll rationalize anything. In other words, if the pediatrician doesn't consider it a real problem with, life, with life-threatening uh, consequences, he's going to... He gives them a story, let's face it. I mean, that, that's what blows my mind, is so that... These kids that aren't defecating normally or these kids are having accidents, basically people with degrees and studies and knowledge are coming up with just explanations that a person off the street could come up with just that makes sense, but it has based not at all in reality. Oh, I know. I mean, you know, some of the great minds in pediatrics over the years, uh, especially uh, uh, explain so many things with, by behavior that were just made up. You know? Yeah, they came up with, um, and I don't even know what's real. I don't want to, you know, demonize something that could be a real condition. But you know, they'll say, well, they have a sensory processing disorder. They just don't feel the bladder. And I'm just, uh, you know, what? And it strikes me as odd is the, as interesting as when, uh, it always appeared as though children that were having daytime accidents were waiting too long to void. They're waiting to the last minute. But the children swore they didn't feel it. And then when I was actually able to fix these children's rectum, I did nothing to their behavior, but all of a sudden they started urinating and defecating normally. And I think okay. you you told me once that going to the bathroom, and this ties into children learning to do it with potty training as well, is a physiologic process. You don't have to force a child to walk or a bird to fly. This happens normally when it's working normally. It's, it's neuromuscular development. You know, it's, it's it, nature takes care of it, and if it isn't working, there's there's something out of line but it's it, it's not a thinking process and of course 
there are neurologic causes of this. If you had a brain or a spinal cord disorder, that's a whole other cause. But that's easy to rule out in these children. You can examine them. You can look at their spine. You can do um, imaging studies if needed. But in a neurologically intact child, everything works the right way when it's working the right way. Don't you agree? Well, you, you know, it's, it's, it's back in Cleveland in 1971, I learned how to do a neuro exam on, on kids. They said, let them climb up on the table. <laughs> that, it, it, they're neurologically intact. And I remember, well, it was Warren Group. He was the nephrologist there then saying, well, you know, this kid has got a, doesn't really have a bladder problem or a rectal problem because they're neurologically intact. This was with Walter Hyman, one of the fathers of uh, pediatric nephrology. And uh, I'll never forget it. I said, you know, with the, 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 the group showing how to do neuro exam on a kid. Get them to climb up on the table. Oh, that is great advice. Well, that is awesome. I think that if if parents get nothing from this interview, just the just the assurance that this is the cause and that it may take time and to have patience with it. I mean, we don't want to be spinning our wheels either. We want to be using therapies that work. But if you're doing a, a, a therapy that's showing progress, stick with it is the key, like you said, because what else are you going to do? Well, the other thing about it is that if you find a doctor... Uh, who gives you a story it means he doesn't know how to say I don't know but I'll find out <laughs> that's exactly right well Dr. Regan I don't want to take I, I you know, we're going to probably do several of these over the next few months uh, but as questions come up in my head but I'm going to let you go today and I'm going to post this soon and I'll send it to you I hope you have a Merry Christmas and I appreciate your time you're very welcome that was a very nice trip to Greece you had <laughs> it was great God, it was great God bless you have a good day bye bye